Welcome to the Thrive in the Workplace podcast brought to you by The Wellness Theory in partnership with B1G1 Business for Good. This podcast is all about uplifting organisations to thrive when it comes to all things workplace wellbeing. From organisational culture, the most effective wellness campaigns you can imagine and integrating social good, you will find insights, inspiration and information that supports leaders at all levels to implement best practices to improve engagement, performance and vitality within the workforce. We believe that workplaces can and should be healthy and sustainable for both the workforce, the bottom line and the community. And in this podcast, we'll show you how. And just so you know, for every listen this podcast gets, we'll be donating to a life-saving project aligned with the UN 2030 Global Goals. So thank you for being here and continuing the ripple effect. Without further ado, join us to thrive in the workplace and become a force for good in the world. So welcome to the show, Andy. So good to have you here. Thank you very much. Great to uh, great to see you, and th- it's always a privilege to be able to talk about these things. So thank you. Definitely, and we're fresh back in after a nice summer break as well. So I, f- I feel like I've got you nice and fresh, which is going to be amazing for our audience and for this <laughs> conversation. So let's kick exactly. let's kick off, Andy, with why have you dedicated your career to working with teams? Like, what's really led you to do what you do at TeamSpace? Oh, uh, how long have you got? <laughs> um, I think it's important. It's important because I've worked this out, and this is one of the things I do spend a lot of time with teams. Is what is what is your why, your sense of purpose? It's such a massive motivator in terms of the intrinsic motivation to you know when the chips are down to keep going, kind of. So, so I obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this for myself, and my it's 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 my story going back to uh, being a child, and and. Um, I'm just really, really passionate about people fitting in and belonging and feeling like they're there for a reason. And every human being wants to be loved and cared for and be part of something. And in the work context, um, it, it's pretty terrible if if things are bad and, you, and you're, you're unhappy. Um, and, and, and I know what that's like. And, and there's a sense of, you know, being alone, which no human being likes. And, um, and I think it's even worse if you are in something you're part of something you know you're in a job you're in a work team and often you feel like you can't lose your job but you feel anonymous and you feel alone and that's a pretty pretty awful existence and I was um you know I was sent to boarding school in the UK as a as an eight-year-old my father worked for British Airways and we were overseas and there were no education options where we lived and so you know we were packed off on an airplane back to the UK. Um, it was April, it snowed, I'd never seen snow before. And, and you know, um, my parents had no choice, I have no, no blame or, or, or you know, don't, um, for what they did. But being placed into a school, which you didn't know, and you didn't know the people, um, you quickly worked out that you just had to put up the barriers, you had to look after yourself, you couldn't show emotion, there was no one to turn to, all that kind of stuff. So you were kind of part of something, but not really part of it. And um, it, it, was a, it was a difficult experience, as you can imagine. Um, I ended up loving it in the end, um, once I kind of, you know, battled through. But what it gave me was a sense of what it's like when it doesn't work. And and throughout my life, I, looking back now, know that I sought opportunities to be in teams, be a team player, belong to teams, choose sports that were you know real tests of character physically and mentally and and I know how good it is when you can create consciously amazing team environments that people are excited to be part of and and the result of that 
is you know that the score takes care of itself. Now, if you want the results, it's hard if you're just chasing the scoreboard. But if you consciously, intentionally build the right team and culture, ethos, and everything else, the rest of it actually becomes a lot easier. And so, so you know, that's my passion, and that's what that's why I do what I do. Oh, I love that so much because it's it is it's tough when you're in and surrounded by people yet you feel really alone. And you know, yeah. purpose and belonging, I don't think they're really subjects that are talked about enough. Uh, but it's it's you know everybody experiences those at some point in their lives. So I can imagine our listeners can really resonate with that. But what I really love is how you've said about consciously creating that team and consciously creating that environment where we can we can thrive right essentially as an individual but then collectively also and we can always go further together right <laughs> and yeah. i think that's a really really powerful concept so with what you do at team space now i just describe for our listeners what exactly is it a team space that, that you do because i've mentioned obviously in your intro um around like you do the the, the coaching you do a lot of like team-led development as well yeah. So I um, I used to do a lot of um, team building activities. We're all familiar with the kind of things, various different types. Um, and then I kind of got into um, a bit more team training, like high performing teams training days. And this is how to do it. Um, and it was just never quite as powerful uh, um, as you know, I always had a, a slight doubt as the impact. They're great. They're, they're great fun. If, if that's what you want. But to make real change happen, to really affect behavior change, culture change within a team. Um, uh, I luckily found the concept of coaching. And I'll tell you a quick story about a team building activity. I ran a company of about 50, 60 people. They came with, this is before I became a coach, and, and um, they came with real kind of issues, communication breakdown, toxic behavior. And so we did a team building day, which I thought, you know, in my naivety back then was the right answer. And um, it was good. But then at the end of the day, it was the end of the week. And, and these people did the whole day, had a lot of fun. Everyone's leaving the conference room at the end. And I said, have, you know, have a great weekend, everybody. And I walked out behind these two ladies who I happened to hear talking. One said to the other, um, you know what, in the end, that was OK. And so I thought, oh, no, great, I'll take that. But the other turned and said, yeah, it was good. But we are all still going to hate each other on Monday. And I thought, whoa, have we just wasted all that money and time? And, and that kind of got me thinking. And then, you know, I, a, a former colleague said, after I, I left a job and she said, what are you doing next? And I, I said, I'm looking for the next thing. And she said, have you considered coaching teams? And, I, and she told me about it. I went on the initial training course to, to learn how to coach teams, specifically relationships rather than individuals. And um, I was absolutely gobsmacked. Um, I, I remember thinking how crazy that, that just putting words in a certain order can elicit such intense emotion and, and awareness and creativity um, and really get to the heart of the matter. So I went on to certify as an ICF accredited coach because I believed in it so much. And that is what I use as my methods with, with affecting change in teams. And so coaching basically at a team level is is the entity of the team itself rather than the individuals within it you tap into the energy of the relationship um, you encourage them to have the right conversations and that's one of the important things is that you know for coaching to work they have to be willing to get into the room and, and really talk about what's going on using structured coaching tools techniques conversations to get them to to become more aware of what is what is going on um answer you know answer questions like what's everyone thinking but no one is saying out loud and having the 
you know, the courageous conversation sometimes, and then moving towards, you know, what are we going to do about it? Um, and how are we going to find different actions and ways of ways of doing things that's going to, you know, help improve um, what is going on for us? Yeah, I'm really going to dive into some of those deeper areas that you obviously focus on when it comes to coaching. But something you said was really powerful in that story where you said, the lady turned around and said, but we're going to hate each other again on Monday. Did And then you're questioning, did we waste all this time and money? This is what we're seeing a lot, right? When we look at the, the landscape of workplace at the moment, because it seems to be in this region in particular, there's a heightened awareness that something needs to be done from a wellness, well-being standpoint. You know, it's, it's definitely um, something we're focusing more on post-pandemic and certain leaders leading the charge, which is amazing to see. However, what we're also seeing is that a lot of companies don't know where to start and team building always naturally seems to be like the go-to thing. Team building and random wellness workshops seems to be the go-to and the easy wins to almost tick the box. Now, I'd love yeah. for you to share perhaps some of the the misconceptions behind team building, because I do believe there's a time and a place for those like fun yeah. activities. But like, where do you see that landscape sitting when it comes to teams and some of the misconceptions that are out there? Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. Sometimes I feel that, that lip service is being paid and to spend a budget before we, it runs out and we won't get it back next year. Um, team building is great. Uh, it has a place in almost like the the suite of interventions that you can have for your team uh, and, and distinguish the team from the individuals. You know, whether you want to do skills training, wellness on an individual level is one thing. I, I, again, just to you know, go back to that concept of team health and relationship health. Now, team building is fab. It, it, it's great fun. It's a morale boost. It is a way of trying to get people to mix and mingle to understand key concepts. But it is a is a one shot deal. It's it's a kind of normally as a product box, whatever it might be. It's a it's an off the shelf, you know, one 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 go at it, and and then you fall victim to the forgetting curve, the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, which brain science tells us that we forget ninety percent of what we've learned within thirty days if we're doing nothing with the information. Over the weekend, you probably lose 50%. So they're great in those isolated sort of shots, in shot in the arm. If you are trying to achieve something more for your for your team or your individuals, you, you've got to have some form of longevity or after the, de after the session impact. Um, uh, I, I do work on a, you know, one-off basis with teams, but I'm absolutely keen that they they commit to actions that they are going to do differently and if it's if it's a one-day deal then you know okay that, i get it that, sometimes that's all we have time for but even if they just do three things differently and we follow up and they do it that's going to make a difference in the longer run but coaching you know like wellness sometimes you know, programs for individuals it, it you know if you want to run a marathon you don't go to your running coach once and you know you, you it's an ongoing journey you you improve you go he gives you things to do you go away and you do them you come back you are a bit fitter okay well do this now in the same way that teams are are constantly evolving and changing sometimes for the better sometimes for the worse external things get in the way oh my goodness since we last met this has happened and so you you need to think of it as a journey based approach of you know occasions spaced out over a period of maybe weeks maybe months um, depending on what's going on and, and keep revisiting keep tweaking keep growing and changing and dealing with what's showing up 
So, um, yeah, you know, um, you you need to be serious about that kind of that kind of thing when we're talking about, you know, behavior. And, and it's not like you can go to the doctor and get the pills. You know, it's it's about behavior. It's about you know human connection and interaction and dealing with everything that that needs to be tackled. Yeah, it's about you know having that long term scope and long-term thinking about the impacts and the outcomes that you're really looking for because like you said I think a lot of people will potentially you know try and spend the budget and expect a result so that we need to manage expectations as well of ourselves yeah. as leaders when we're looking for things for our teams right yeah. um, and if if we're not then we're going to be disappointed right and it's almost like we just keep chasing our tail and that doesn't get anyone anywhere if we're looking for yeah. lasting change and I, I think you, um, you know, as a, as a, as a, you know, a leader or, or, or stakeholder in in this, you know, aim to be better and grow, it's it, two things really. One, one is um, understand the commitment that your team and you need to make. In all of my proposals, I, I put a page about our our partnership. You know, we become partners, right? And and I'm going to do my bit, and these are the things that I'm going to do. But I need you to commit to these things. Like, don't cancel the sessions. Everyone needs to be there. Be on time. You know, half the team's missing. It's not going to work because it's the team entity we're coaching. And and also, you can talk to your coach about what are the results that we're gonna we're gonna change here. So and and we're talking of two scales. You know, the, the business results, the KPIs, the numbers we're trying to in, impact, and that you know, I get it. That's that's the driving force. But the other scale, which is a little bit harder to measure because it's more emotional, is, is the feelings. But if we can get the team morale, ethos, behavior, communication, all those things that we're going to work on, if we can improve that, then results are going to be better. So there, and, and there are ways of doing that. I mean, mostly through surveys. And, you know, I use surveys and, and, and um, um, you know, they are subjective, you know, you know but at least they're better than, than nothing. Um, and getting your people to tell you anonymously sometimes if you need to um, how they see things what's you know how are they feeling what are they what's their impression of the team's health and then you can you do that before you start and I use that as part of my assessment anyway so I know what's going on as best I can and then you can you know redo that later on and see if you've had a change so measurability is possible and 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 you know um, that, that's important as well. 100% and and having that those surveys and that data as a foundation to then go deeper into conversations gives you the perfect springboard to do so you mentioned earlier about um you know what is everybody thinking but nobody is saying I think that is such an important topic because everybody's walking around you know with their own version of events all of the time so no wonder there happens to be conflict and miscommunication which leads to other um consequences for a business yeah. for people to be able to do that you speak a lot about the topic of psychological safety so yeah. i'd love for you to share the link between how do you get somebody to really open up and share what they're truly thinking and feeling in that kind of environment that is going to be supportive and conducive to the outcomes that perhaps that team and business is looking for? Yeah, this is a huge question. Um, uh, so how do we get people opening up? Is that is that the... Yeah, and, yeah. And, and if you could define psychological safety as part of that, yeah. because that's such a buzzword that people are using, I'm not sure everybody really understands. Yeah. So Amy Edmondson is the Harvard, I think Harvard, I think academic who really kind of coined the phrase or, or defined the term uh, as a, an atmosphere that, where people are not afraid to speak up. Um, uh, they they can admit failures, weaknesses. They don't understand things. 
uh, they're scared or worried, safe in the knowledge that they will not be um, ridiculed, uh, punished or, or made fun of by the rest of the team. You know, there's no consequence to just saying what you think and feel. Um, and you know, that's not easy. And it's, and it's not easy, especially in work teams. It's easy in a family, you know, in, in, a, in a functioning family, that's a given. Um, uh, so how do we create that? And the reason we need to is we know, and, you know, it's scientific fact now, because Google has done a study called Project Aristotle, which they did a few years ago, into what makes the perfect team. And their finding, it wasn't about job skills or the type of person you had. You could have all friends or all enemies. It doesn't matter. The most important you know, in indicator of success was the culture and atmosphere of, of openness and speaking up. Um, yes, you know, a conversational turn taking, which is an equality of talking and listening. But if you have this atmosphere where people can be themselves, you get better innovation, you get faster decisions, um, you, you get um, more commitment and engagement. And all of these influence your business results. Um, how do you so? where do you start you know where is your team currently you know if it's if, if it's a really safe and everyone's really happy to speak then great keep it going um but how do you start it off um you know for me it's it's it's, it's consciously focusing on it um leaders need to lead by example um you need to encourage and create the right kind of you know um a permission conscious uh, rules or, or behavior expectations, um, space for them to speak up, asking the right questions, and maybe practicing it with a coach in a safe environment in a coaching room to try it on, um, to be able to explore it, to be able to understand it, educate as part of part of the process. What does this mean? Um, I'm finding that it is growing. Uh, when I when I talk about it with teams for the first time, and I say. How many of you have heard the term? You know, typically it used to be one, two. I was in the room this week, 18 people. I had one hand go up. Um, that's now quite rare. It used to be one or two hands, you know, maybe 10, 20%. Now it's maybe 30, 40%. So with the awareness is coming. But then you've got to try it on. And I know it's uncomfortable. And, and, and sometimes I'm in the room with teams and I get this sort of image in my head that they're all on the edge of a lake and they don't know how deep the water is. Is there a current... Is there a, a, a crocodile or a hidden obstacle? We're not sure. It's all, it's all, it's all a bit scary. And you just, as, as a coach, one of your jobs is, is, is to just encourage and open the door and, and just try and, and tip them over the edge. And, 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 and in coaching speak, we have a concept called edge behavior. And it literally is like a mountain with an edge at the top. And we face edges all day. Like, I'm hungry. What shall I have for lunch? The big ones, like, should we move the head office to Saudi Arabia? Wow, that's a massive edge. And the edge of, oh, we need to speak more more openly. Oh, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable about that. And, and it manifests oddly, sometimes in silence, sometimes in laughter, sometimes, you know, in different ways. And that you're noticing that as a coach and you're there to just encourage and reflect back upon the team what is going on. Like, what's happening here, guys? And they're like, what, what do you mean? Well, I'm just noticing there's lots of laughter. What's behind that? And so you, you're there to kind of encourage. And then... I've seen, you know, the, the the standing on the edge of the, the lake and then one person just puts their foot in yeah. and try and tries it. And, you know, and they said, well, shall I be honest? And I said, well, it's up to you. Um, do you want to try it? And they, OK. And, and, you know, it can be stormy along the way, um, depending on what they have to say. But one by one, you know, a little bit further, a little bit further, which, again, is why it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. But someone somebody will say it and then. 
as a leader, again, as a team, you've got to protect and encourage the people who are brave enough to go first. You know, it's like little green shoots starting out. If you stamp on it, that's it. It's the worst thing. Worst thing. If someone laughs, if someone makes fun of someone who's being vulnerable, then, you know, they're going to clam up. So you've got to be really careful in the early the early moments of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? It's counterintuitive to people culturally as well to be vulnerable. I get it. Um, shame on our cultures, fear power cultures. But um, you've just got to try. You know, you've just got to try and sort of take the baby steps and build comfort with the openness. And that question, um, what's everyone thinking but no one is saying? I'll give you a prime example of how powerful just that one question in the room with a, with a team, their task is to take their business from as a global business, as a senior team, got to go from $4 billion to $10 billion in the next couple of years. Huge task ahead. Uh, and um, um, the, the, um, the leader had structured a strategy uh, agenda for the two days of conversation after I was working with them. We asked that question as part of a bigger session and everyone answers it with post-it notes to give them a bit of comfort about expressing themselves, put them on the board. And everyone's, 10 of them, like start reading the notes and they're like, oh my goodness, you've, you've put the same thing that I did. I thought I was the only one who thought that. You have too, you have too. The boss didn't know that everyone, three or four or five of them, all had this thing that was the big thing. And they went on coffee break and God bless this leader for his humility to be able to say, I've seen what we've all said. I thought we hear we, the, the most important thing was something completely different. Mm. I'm, I'm going to tear up the strategy agenda that I had planned, and we're going there first, and we'll, we'll take it from there. Mm. And if we hadn't asked that one question, they would never have tackled the right thing, and they would have gone on with what he thought was right, and who knows where they would have got. So you know, it's it's it can be really really powerful. That's incredibly powerful. Like you said, you know, that could that could go one way or another. Um, and the, the like you said, the humility of that leader is absolutely essential. And the space that obviously was created so that they did feel able to do that created that sense of safety within the individuals together. Because I've, I've always found, so typically, you know, we entered this workplace wellbeing space because we were working one-on-one with leaders who were stressed out to the point where you know they're completely burned out lost their identity not really sure what and why they're doing what they're doing they don't know what's good for them anymore um and we get them back to this point where they're infused again they know they're connected with their purpose they're connected with their levels of self-awareness again um and how that impacts their teams and one of the things that we've found we've always worked with is Uh, with those leaders is them actually finding a place of safety within themselves again and I think sometimes there's this expectation that as adults everybody knows and feels okay within themselves and actually that could be farther from the truth because nobody's ever really taught us um you know to find that sense of certainty within ourselves or self-assurance so when you give then a team the space I can only imagine that's kind of safety and numbers feeling that then just amplifies and elevates the results even more yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you know, like I say, one person goes first and oh, they've done it. It's OK. I can do it, too. You know, this myth of necessary invincibility, both both on behalf of leaders. You know, I'm 50 and, you know, we were brought up, you know, you've got to be strong and all this kind of stuff. And that needs to go away. Absolutely go away. You know, um, Brene Brown talks about the necessary vulnerability and, and the, the myth that it is. It is you know, what does she say? Um, if you know if the if the if the sharing is not vulnerable it's profoundly dangerous or something like that 
Uh, and and that that's true, you know, for for you know leaders of a certain age, but but also in teams. And like I say, you know, if you if you every no one, so few organisations and, and you know consciously create team culture, they they just let it happen organically, and then you fall victim to chance and the the wills and strengths of the people within the team. And you know you might get lucky. More often than not, I think you're not going to get lucky. And um, especially in large organizations mm-hmm. um, where, the, you know, you let you you less know people and there's higher turnover. And, you know, we know facts. Science has shown, again, that settled teams that, that stay together for longer are you know, healthier and therefore more successful. And I know that's a luxury. But um, if you can, you know, you know, give each other permission, create the space, try it on, um, and and get rid of this myth of invincibility that that um, is 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 profoundly dangerous, um, and, and it's okay. You know, it's it's like uh, just try it, and, and you'll be surprised because uh, I increasingly see with all the work that I do, and you know, over the years, there are certain things common to, to every human um, that we all want, need, or thrive if it exists. Sense of belonging. Don't isolate humans. Um, and and one of them is being able to be myself. Yeah. We we absolutely want to be ourselves. And and all the things that get in the way, you know, culture and hierarchy and all these things. If you can strip them away, it's a truly liberating feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and you know, I used to work in a, an amazing team in a great company, and I remember going to work on voluntary on a weekend because I just love doing it. And and you know, wake up on a Monday morning, yes, back to work. You know. Um, and I've done other jobs where it's just been sweating with anxiety on a Sunday night thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to go back for another week. How am I going to do it? And it's it's awful. So, you know, and think of the stress and the anxiety levels and the, the impact on on health. You know, uh, you know, you look at the cost of poor teamwork, you know, things like stress and absenteeism, um, turnover, re- replacing someone who leaves is so expensive. If you look it up, look at the stats, hundreds, hundreds and thousands of millions of dollars is spent every year, you know, recruiting and replacing people. And if you can just retain people for a bit longer, yeah. you know, the cost saving, the cost of a coaching session or coaching sessions, just ridiculous, ridiculously tiny with the impact that it could make just one person sticking around for three more months or getting the right person on yeah. um, on, on board as well. So anyway, there we go. <laughs> it, it really plays into the, like, the mental health crisis that we're in, just globally in the world in general, but particularly in the workplace. And I know, you know, mental health, it kind of, go, kind of goes side by side to some extent with the sense of psychological safety and the environments that we're in. Um, I would love for you to just perhaps share your experiences and what you've your, what you've seen both professionally, personally, in and around mental health um, and teams, and the impact of perhaps um, the work you do on the improvement of mental health. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I've had personal experience of you know a colleague. I remember a colleague burning out in a in a very high pressure company environment, and you know, work, I, I worked in a couple of companies that. You know, you you had to you had to. I worked in a recruitment company where there was a culture of. I mean, you had to interview candidates when they could get to you, like before work or after work, seven seven eight in the morning, six six o'clock, seven o'clock at night. Um, but there was this culture of um, 
you have to be in the building you know okay i haven't got an interview tonight um uh, can i go home at five o'clock well no you couldn't because you you have to be at your desk you know showing willing and you know they would recruit mostly graduates brainwash them into being like drones and just get on the phone get on the phone now i get it it's a sales role you know yes you need to be making so many phone calls but um pe people were stressed and and um you'd, you'd sneak out at six o'clock at night leaving your computer on with your jacket on the back of your chair so it looked like you were maybe doing an interview somewhere in the building and, and you know run down the stairs before anyone saw you leave and, and you know it was just appalling um they <laughs> They became successful and they made money, but but you know it was it was a the churn of these people going through this sort of it's like a sheep dip of people coming in and out of the of the, of the doors, um, and and um, so you know I've had my own personal ex experiences of this, um, and you know the 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 work that I do is very you know absolutely um, linked to the you know personal mental health space and and. You know, I, 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 it's lovely when I, when I, when I hear from people, you know, later on, I, a guy on LinkedIn tagged me yesterday and just said, God, I was in this amazing session. I learned so much. And he, and it wasn't just about us as a team. He, he, he was, it was resonating with his personal life, um, with how it would help him, you know, elsewhere outside of the workplace. Um, and, you, you know, sometimes you, you know, the, 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 the work around, awareness is really really important um and and i call i i know there's a, i know you might know the scientific term for this but i call it the pink ferrari syndrome you drive let's say you're driving around town and you're, you're driving along and then one day you're like oh my goodness look at that there's a pink ferrari oh wow i've never seen a pink ferrari before and before you know it as you know in the days to come you're seeing pink ferraris everywhere they're all over the shop as soon as you raise awareness about these topics and, and you and you kind of talk about mental health or psychological safety and get people talking within a team, um, you know, we should think about this stuff that boom, 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 the, you know, the consciousness of the brain and flicking it to the front of the brain, it, it, it'll see it more frequently now. Fact is, the pink Ferraris have always been driving around. You just hadn't seen them. Yeah. And so and so, you know, that that's a vital part of, of you know, the process of you know, getting people comfortable with, with being themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that in itself is so powerful. You know, the, the take it back to your professional example there for, for you, like in that kind of sales type role, and there'll be people listening to this that are working perhaps in those dynamics or leading teams in those dynamics and instilling that, that sense of guilt and resentment in your teams is only ever going to backfire because your teams are coming into the workplace feeling completely contracted they're not going to be able to show up and deliver the quality of sales like you said you know the company's been successful but at what cost you know and that's when it's important to look beyond the bottom line and see actually that when you elevate your team your bottom line will actually increase even more so they could have been even more successful if they'd actually yeah. treated the team better yeah i mean i remember i remember being tired you know being unsure of what to do who do i ask um not really you know being under so much pressure of sales targets financial targets all these things, you know, you hesitated, you don't want to put a foot wrong. Um, you know, the, the, my contribution and engagement was way lower than it possibly could have been if they had done it differently and focused on purpose. And, you know, this is why we're not, you know, Margaret Heffernan um, was, it, I, I have a little radio clip from an interview that she gave 
Um, she's a CEO herself. She's a business coach, coaches business leaders. Um, great, great TED talk about super chickens. Look it up. And um, and she said, I talk to CEOs and I, and I say, what's the driving force here? And and they say twenty billion dollars by this date. And she goes, what on earth makes you think that everyone's going to give it their all to hit a revenue target? You know, um, you've got to talk to something much deeper inside than that. You've got to talk, talk to them about something that's going to make a difference every day for them to be able to do their best and, and be the best that they possibly can. And it's so true. You know, if you can, you know, don't revenue is a result. You know, a lot of the KPIs that are important are results. You know, they are extrinsic motivations. And if you can create the right atmosphere, conditions, clarity, um, you don't all have to love each other. You don't even have to be friends. You just have to have respect and trust. And, you know, people, what's trust is your reliability. I know you're going to do what, what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Um, and, and and if you get people to focus on, uh, you know, the, the, the real why we're doing this, and, and it, it's pretty simple. Every human being, like, okay, in the workplace, we don't have psychopaths and, and sociopaths and people like that mostly and and so when we're all normal human beings we're all the same we are all we are all community group-minded animals and we once we are in and committed we're part of something we feel part of something we want to help we want to make our people feel good that's a massive motivator so it's all about what's the good you're you are what the, what you are doing in the world you know what is the good that you're doing how are you benefiting other people's lives? And so in recruitment, you shouldn't have been talking about get this target, hit this target. It should be about, wow, we're giving someone one of the opportunities of their lifetime. This might be the best thing that they, that's going to make them really happy, that might give them enough money to buy the first house, and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's so many stories that you could extrapolate from there. And that should have been the motivation. And I, and I was guilty of not telling a candidate that he had an interview request because I had him on final interview and, and he was going to say yes to that job and they were going to offer him the job and I was going to get paid the commission the next month. And suddenly I got an interview request from another company who had his CV and hadn't called me. And then I didn't tell him about the interview because I thought that's going to prolong the process and I, I may not get the commission. Yeah. Who am I? I, you know, I? Who am I to make that decision? That might have been the best job for that guy, yeah. you know? Uh, and And so, you know, in the long run, you know, it's much better to have that purpose-based approach. 100%. And and the awareness piece has to go with it. To your point about the guy in the workshop that you mentioned that tagged you on LinkedIn um, this week, like, you know, you have to have enough awareness about the, the people around you and that good that you want to do and what's motivating them in order to be able to really help that individual thrive in all areas of their life so they can bring their best selves to the workplace as well. Yeah critical so listen you've touched on so many things already but i'd love for you to perhaps share some of the more unique challenges you've noticed when it comes to the cultural differences in this region and some of the challenges you might have seen both at an organizational and employee level yeah um okay so there are there are three cultural lenses which everyone looks out of the world at this comes from research anthrop anthropologists and um, people at Hofstadter and various different people and um, the lenses are guilt and in guilt and innocence the sort of scale of guilt and innocence shame and honor and fear and power mm -hmm. uh, if you can't you'll be careful not to pigeonhole and, and say because you're from this country you're that culture it's a much more homogenous world so be careful about that but loosely speaking 
Guilt and innocence will be more familiar to people, perhaps from a, from the, from the West. Um, shame and honor will be more familiar, certainly the Middle East, um, the Arab world, parts of Africa, parts of Asia, and then fear and power, you know, more familiar again, typically, if there's such a thing with, say, the subcontinent Asia. And now, um, with those three different drivers, and I won't have time to get into all three of them, but what's more important, right? So guilt and innocence is the sense of right and wrong. We'll cue because that's the right thing to do. Legal contracts matter. Shame and honor is a much more public, you know, the, I can't lose face. I want to I want to have honor. I, I don't bring shame to my people and my, you know, my, my tribe. And then the fear and power is the kind of hierarchical dynamic of I want to get up the ladder and have more power. And I will communicate directly to those below me and keep them below me. And I can't I can't say things upwards because I've you know I'm fearful of the power. So that with all these dynamics in this multicultural world in, in the Middle East that in Dubai that we that we live and work in, all of this is at play. And it's fascinating when I get opportunities to coach monocultural teams, like I sometimes get called to go and work in other parts of the world. And I was in Edinburgh recently um and and Mallorca and, and it's it's amazing to to see you know especially working with a guilt innocence culture of, of my own background that I'm very familiar with how different it is to the you know multicultural world here now one of the key things is is psychological safe, safety and the comfort with speaking up now uh, I believe that is a western philosophy and it comes certainly you know, coaching has come out of the west um in in the in the ORSC, ORSC coaching that I do, which stands for Organization and Relationship Systems Coaching, one of the founding principles is deep democracy, which is giving everyone a voice and allowing them to express themselves, which is linked to psychological safety. It comes very comfortably to people from a guilt innocence culture. It's much harder for shame, honor, fear, power cultures for obvious reasons, and so um, that's one. That's certainly one, one of the big things. Is is um, you know, encouraging, encouraging that and giving people the opportunity. And then they do take to it. But it is, like I said earlier, you know, baby steps and getting them practiced. And at, fund, at a fundamental human level, we want to express ourselves. We want to be heard. We want to be able to be ourselves. Um, some of the other things that, are, you know, the other things that, that I notice here, which I think is changing is, is people, you know, people do leave teams and sometimes as a result of coaching. And um, I've been, I've I coached one team where um, they had some challenges. There were six people. Um, I did three sessions. Um, now, the the brief was not. We want to know who we can get rid of, and and I won't take I won't take a brief for that. I'm not here to try and break teams. Um, uh, that's unethical. But what happened after the first session was that one person left. After the second session, two more people left. And so I had the catch-up call with the client and he, and he said, yeah, well, two more people have left. And I was like, oh, he's going to kill me. And he said, but it's the best thing that could have happened. You know, every, you know, it's better for us. It's better for them. The team's much happier. You know, it's the right thing for the team. Um, but the point is that people are scared to leave their jobs here. And, and, you know, you see people who have been in the job for 20 years well, in the, in, in the back home in the UK, people leave two to five years, is, you know, five years is a good time. And I think it's the um, I need the visa. I can't live. I can't risk being unemployed. I'm scared. Can I get employed? You know, maybe they've been bullied into staying, you know, fear, power, power is being used in the wrong way. Um, but that, that you know, that's certainly another thing, though. But it is changing now. There is, you know, you know, you can you can. 
you know, and and this is what's so great about these new rules that are coming in about, you know, um, a form of um, uh, unemployment pay and, and longer grace periods and things like that. So that will only encourage more freedom to move around and say, you know what, I don't like it here. This culture doesn't suit me. I'll go and get another job. Um, and but yeah, mostly that 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 fit that power culture dynamic is you know is is the biggest thing that you notice here. That's a really interesting insight, and I think there's a lack of education in and around it, particularly for um, workplaces in general. But but for leaders, I mean, when I first came here in 2013, it looks very different now to what it did then. There's even more um, cultures in play, and there's it seems like everything's got hungrier when it comes to business, and things are moving even faster with technology. And I think there's been some perhaps overlooking of how these different cultures gel, and then what adaptations need to be made. Um, I love the the region and how you know inspiring it is and how fast moving it is. But I think sometimes it can go a bit too fast for what we can keep up with. And I think education around this is going to be really important. So if anyone listening to this wants to learn more about those cultural lenses you've described, what kind of uh, kind of resources would you point them toward? Um, I learned all about that from a great guy called Marco Blankenberg. Um, he, uh, he's a he's a legend actually, and and uh, in the cultural, the intercultural space, um, uh, his company is called Knowledge Works, which is Knowledge Works with a, with an X on the end. Um, Marco Marco Blankenberg. So he's he's great. He's got lots of material blogs and things like that. Um, and that's really where I took most of my inspiration from, to be honest, with with regard to. You know, the cultural and cultural intelligence work there's a there's a lot of more kind of in in-depth academic academic stuff but not everyone needs to get into that yeah exactly exactly there's already a lot of information out there you just need the nuts and bolts that's going to really help you drive drive that needle and, and make a difference right so yeah. andy tell us a little bit more about what people could expect if they come to work with you at team space you've got loads of great insights in your book getting teamwork right so that is always a really good place to start you can see it just just over andy's right shoulder there um yeah. and i think it's um it's well worth a read for anybody listening but if somebody wants to take it further and they're really serious about making change in their teams what can they expect from you you at team space so the first thing is to identify do you do you need a coach you know, is, is, is a team coach what you need? Um, I'm happy to talk to people, find out. Um, the kind of clients that I work with, the kind of teams that I work with, I, I, I call the ABC of teams. Um, ambitious teams like the, that company of 4 billion to 10 billion. That's a massive ambition. How on earth are we going to do that? Um, B is, is breakdown, broken teams. Um, like we're all still going to hate each other on Monday teams. And there's all sorts of things that can be going wrong. Um, for lots of different reasons. But if you're feeling, you know, pain, stress, anxiety, lack of clarity, toxic communication, uh, politics, blame, all, you know, that's, you know, that, that's dangerous. Um, uh, and sometimes you're so stuck in the problem, it's very difficult to work it out yourself. And you're maybe on a cycle of repetitive reciprocal bad behavior, which just needs to be interrupted. Um, and, and you don't know how to do it, you need help. And then the C is teams going through change, you know, and, and change is inherently difficult for human animals and human beings. We don't like it. And so, you know, you can get some guidance through through what is going on for you. Change, you know, change of location, leadership, membership, um, mergers, um, strategic direction, new products, all sorts of different types of change. And um, so if, if you're thinking that, you know, one of those is going on for you, then um work you know, have a conversation with me or you know uh, uh, anyone like me um do an assessment you don't have to 
you know, commit to a full journey. We can just start with an assessment. We do surveys, interviews, stakeholder interviews, team meetings, and you should, as a, you know, a proper coach should be doing that anyway as part of their practice because you can't coach until you know what's going on. So through that process, then then at least you get a bit of measurable data and say this this is what your team's saying about itself. Six out of ten here, five out of ten there on topics like communication, collaboration, psychological safety, all these different things, levels of trust. Um, and then then you can work out what what you're what you're going to do. Um, uh, it, it, so I'm looking out for it is a coachable situation. Yes, yes, you are A, B, or C, or or two or three. Um, this, yeah, this is the stuff I can help you with. Or you know, you know what? I I, turn, I I started coaching a team recently. We booked six sessions. I did two of them, um, two half days, and and I realized that they didn't need coaching anymore. They were, you know, it'd been useful just as a as a check in to do too. But there was there was nothing wrong. They were getting on with their goals. They weren't going through change. You know, it's like you guys don't need me. And so I I I said, I, I think you're good. I'm I'm gonna. I suggest we stop. So we stopped. Um, so you, you, you know, you need the coachable situation. Um, you, you need everyone, you know, if you go, if you, if, so if then you say, right, we're going to do coaching, the whole intact team needs to get into the room. Yeah. Um, again, I've turned down coaching with two individuals who, who are absolutely their, their relationship with a team, within a team of 10 have completely broken down yeah. and, um, uh, it was rippling around the whole team. And so I was called in to help with that relationship. And, and one of the individuals was, you know, through gritted teeth and with a bit of fear, willing to get in the room with me and the other. Yeah. The other one flatly refused. I will not get into a room with X. Yeah. And um, I had to go back to the stakeholder and say, this is what I'm being told. This person will not be coached. Yeah. And I, and I, said, to, I said to them, you realize yeah. that, you know, your job may be on the line. I'd rather lose my job. Yeah. Okay, that's your choice. And so I can't coach that. So if you've got a situation and you're willing to enter into the process and, and get everyone talking, then coaching is for you. Yeah, amazing. And clearly it's evident with the work that you're doing um, that you're getting really great results for these teams. And what I really like, Andy, as well, is your transparency in around, you know, just helping people, meeting them where they are and just being really transparent with what it is they need and how you can support them. And even if you're not for them, you know, like the example you gave there is like, listen, two two sessions and they were done, right? That it builds even more trust with the work that you do and the results that you deliver. So, um, anybody, this yeah, so I, I mean, I, I could have I could have bashed through the other four session and took the money, but it wasn't the right thing ethically. It does not meet with my purpose of, of helping you know, teams, right? It doesn't meet. It's, it doesn't sit well with me. And you know what happened because of that? The the the, the trust equity that I built with that company through the through the honesty meant that not only did they repurpose the budget anyway to spend on other teams but they have you know they've referred me to other companies um they've given me other work that i would not have probably got had i just taken the money and run yeah second part of this podcast title is to become a force for good so we've been speaking a lot about thriving in the workplace and i think what you just shared there is you being a force for good and just being open being transparent being aligned with your mission and just showing up authentically as you as a business person as a coach as a human being i would love to know what is your take on being a force for good in the world what does that mean to you well it goes back to what we what we started with you know my, my sense of purpose you know my I don't I, I I am driven by not wanting people to have to exist in an environment where they are 
basically unhappy and stressed. Um, it, it is it is dangerous and damaging, and it's not it's a horrible place to be because I've been in it. I've, I I know what that is like, yeah. and I I have a, a fundamental belief that human beings deserve to belong. Um, and it, you know if if we can create that, if people want to be there, they're going to do better work. They're going to be happier. From there, you can talk about the impacts of, of you know on the. On, on, on the National Health Service in the UK, you know, for example, of people being happier and so on and so on. Um, but but I also am a parent. I have two children, and and if I if I can do my bit, and I can't change the world overnight, but what I can do is like the butterfly chaos theory effect. If I can just put a couple of drops into a couple of teams, and you know, help them, you never know where that might lead. And you know, the, the world is going to be an increasingly harder place, right, in, in the next decades to come. And my poor children, you know, are going to are going to grow up, grow up into that. And, you know, we rent this earth off our children. And, and um, so I believe that if if I can do my bit, I can sleep better at night, knowing that I'm making people's lives better, making people happier. And as a direct result of that, I do think there's a calmer impact effect on, on the world as a whole. And, um, you know, my, my kids just might be OK. Absolutely. Absolutely. Andy, this podcast is all about continuing that beautiful butterfly effect that you've just described. Um, so for every listen this podcast gets, there's a donation made towards one of the 2030 global goals for your kids and everybody else's kids out there and for, you know, us retiring into the future. We want to really make a difference in any small way that we can. So you've chosen to support off the back of coming on the show today, um, the goal of quality education. Why is that such an important goal for you? Oh, well, it's just, you know, linked to what I do. I, I educate uh, as part of my job and, you know, um, uh, it, it, that's, you know, that, that's where it all starts when your kids, you know, my kids are seven and eight, you know, they're at school. I've seen them being educated. It's amazing what, what they learn and, and, you know, every, again, every human should really deserve access to education and good education. So that's why. Beautiful. Amazing. Andy, is there anything else that our listeners need to know before we say goodbyes today? Um, uh, where they can reach me. <laughs> Tell us. Uh, theteamspace.com, www.theteamspace.com, or look me up on LinkedIn. Just type in Andy Fieldhouse. I should come up. I'm fairly rare surname <laughs> yeah we'll make sure all the links are in the show notes as well 100 thank, thank you so much for joining us andy it's been a pleasure thank you today's episode was hosted by myself charlotte stebbing mills the co-founder of the wellness theory if you enjoyed this episode please do subscribe and share with someone who may benefit and be part of our mission to help people realize when they're healthy and well they can be a force for good in the world i just wanted to share some more about our partner b1g1 b1g1 is a global movement that enables businesses to incorporate effective impact creation into their everyday activities in a simple and powerful way through b1g1 businesses can choose from a wide range of verified projects around the world and integrate these impacts into their business operations. The core concept of B1G1 is that every business transaction or interaction can be directly linked to making a positive impact in our world, whether it's providing access to clean water, supporting education, planting trees or addressing social issues, B1G1 enables businesses of all types to make a real difference. To find out more about them, visit their website at b1g1.com. Until next time, be well, mean well, and make a difference that lasts. See you in the next episode.